Let us now read together what we confess in Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 25. There we find God's word summarized as follows. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God has, that God graciously grants us the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. Now this afternoon the concentration is going to be on the first question and answer of this Lord's Day on question and answer 65. And then after the sermon we will sing from Psalm 42. Stances 5 and 7. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, it's beautiful the way that the Heidelberg Catechism is set up. It's a wonderful teaching tool. For the Catechism anticipates based on what went on before the questions we might have. It does not leave any stones unturned. And in so doing, while systematically dealing with all the important doctrines concerning our salvation, it walks us through the Bible. And that's what we see here as well. For the last two Lord's Days and also last three sermons dealing with the letter of James, we have been dealing with righteousness through faith alone. And as we have seen, that is a very important doctrine. And the lesson should be clear by now. Faith is the instrument by which we acquire the benefits of God. You cannot earn your salvation. And so that begs the next question. And that's what this catechism does. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? In other words, how now do you get that faith, that all-important faith? Good question. Indeed, a very important question. We are speaking here about our restored relationship with our Father in heaven. We are busy here with the difference between eternal life and eternal death. These are not trivial matters. These are not things that should leave you 
indifferent. It is not as we are speaking here about apples and oranges or the price of tea in China. No, we are speaking here about our faith and that without it you will not have eternal life. And therefore the question where this faith comes from is an important one. And so, brothers and sisters, even though you may feel a little sleepy this afternoon, who knows, or your mind is busy on other things right now, it's important that I have your attention this afternoon. Not because I, as your minister, am so important, for that's certainly not the case. But God's word is. And that is why, and that is what I want to bring you this afternoon. And that's what we must, must be brought every time God's word is opened from this pulpit. God's word, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is very precious. For his word plays a vital role in the creation of your faith and your subsequent salvation. And so I will preach to you this afternoon about the importance of the preaching. As I said, God's words are very precious. For they are the words of life. You understand, of course, that when we speak about the word of God, then we refer especially to the work of the Holy Spirit. For ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit who works the word into our hearts. That does not mean that the other two persons of the Trinity are not involved. Of course they are, for you cannot compartmentalize God in that way. But we do associate certain works with a particular person of the Trinity. And so we speak of the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. It is the Holy Spirit who gives you a new life, a holy life. Think about what the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then he tells him further that such new life is given by the Holy Spirit. Peter, in the passage that we just read together, gives us a vivid picture of what that entailed. He speaks there about the former ignorance of the readers when they gave in to their evil desires. Indeed, that is, the, that is what the life is like without the Holy Spirit. It is a life full of ignorance. It is futile. You do whatever you feel like. There is no sense to it. A life without God leads to utter destruction. And so you can understand the triumphant answer that is given here in the Catechism. Through the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts by the preaching, you become new creatures. Just as the Catechism says, the Holy Spirit works faith in your heart by the preaching of the gospel, twice the word holy is used. That indicates God is at work here, not man. And that's quite a departure from what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. They say that other elements play a role as well, that they are indispensable even, such as the sacraments. Without receiving the grace of the sacraments, you will not be saved. But right off the bat, the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism do away with that notion. It's all God's work. It doesn't depend on anything man must do. 
That does not mean, of course, that he leaves man without a role to play. We also saw that this morning. And we saw that also in the other sermons that we had before this. No, the Catechism speaks about the preaching of the Holy Gospel. And what else would that refer to except the sermon that you hear every Sunday? The Holy Spirit uses sinful men to proclaim the gospel and so to work faith in the hearts of the hearers. He uses a sinful man like me as well. And that's humbling. But you may say, is it really true that the preaching is all that important? The Catechism may say all that about the preaching, but is that really true? Where does the Heidelberg Catechism get that from exactly? Well, just look at the reference given underneath the answer of the Catechism. Second line, first reference, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You know what it says there? It says there, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now, who does that preaching? Well, Paul had already established that earlier in that chapter, three verses prior to that. He said in verse 14, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Verse 14. And so the answer is clear. God's word is proclaimed by a man, a preacher. We read essentially the same thing in 1 Peter 1. The apostle says there that they have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then further on it says that word that was preached to you. Here again there is mention of rebirth. New life is given through the Holy Spirit and through the word. The people to whom he wrote became new people, became new creatures because of the preaching. And so do you see how powerful and how important the preaching is? Look at how that functioned already at the time of Pentecost. At that time the Holy Spirit came down to the people who had gathered together in one place. There was a rush of wind which filled the house where they were sitting. Tongues as of fire appeared to them, resting on each of them. And then what happened? They began to speak. They began to speak in tongues so that everyone could understand them in their own language. Why was it so important that they be understood? Because of the message, that message of salvation. And that's exactly what the apostles did, the disciples. They preached after Pentecost. They came with a wonderful message concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter first, right on the day of Pentecost already. He held his first Pentecostal sermon. Do you know how many people came to faith after he spoke? 3,000 people. 3,000 people in one day went from death to life. And that is the power of the preached word. And you may say, well, Peter would have been a very powerful speaker. 
He must have been a great orator to have been able to convince so many people all at once. Please don't think that this came about because of Peter's abilities. No, it was the Holy Spirit who worked through him. He was merely a mouthpiece. The Holy Spirit put the words in his mouth. And what did Peter say? Well, thankfully, we have his words recorded in Acts 2. Peter begins his sermon by quoting from the Old Testament prophet Joel, who had prophesied of the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he showed that that prophecy was fulfilled on that very day. And then he quotes from Psalm 16, which applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he proves, using very simple language, that those words now apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. He shows from the scriptures that that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed that long-awaited Messiah. Those were precious words, brothers and sisters. They were wonderful words. And God's people standing there became convinced that he was right. And the Holy Spirit worked that also into their hearts. The Holy Spirit reached into their hearts, took hold of them, and convinced them of the truth he was proclaiming. It was a long sermon. It was full of historical details. You had to have your wits about you. You had to listen carefully. And those who were not hungry for God's word would no doubt have been bored by it all. But not those 3,000. They heard the message. And they could also see and hear that Peter's heart was in it. And that he truly believed what he said. Peter was full of fire for the Lord his God. And that's how those people came to faith. They listened to the preaching. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's always the way it's been with God's people. Consider the rest of the book of Acts as well. After this, the disciples went out to preach. And because of their preaching, people from all over the known world came to faith. The gospel spread. The first European woman to come to faith was converted through the preaching, through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. Luke in Acts 16 verse 14 records for us what happened. He writes, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Acts 16, verse 14. At this point, you may wonder whether the preaching is the only way that God creates faith. Can God not also do that through other means? God is all-powerful, isn't he? And indeed, that's true. Think about little children, little babies. We know and believe that children of believers who die in infancy are saved. And yet, they never heard the preaching, let alone understood it. And there are also those who are born with very little understanding, or no understanding at all, those who are severely disabled. God is also able to save them. And we must also believe that. For them to be saved, they do not have to be able to understand the preaching. 
God does not use that means of grace in those instances. But we should understand that those cases are exceptions. This is not how God normally works. What is important for you and for me right now is how God creates faith in our hearts. For we do have the understanding. If we come from Christian families, as most of us here do, then God began the creation of faith in the homes already, through the way that we were brought up. Indeed, that's where it all begins, in the homes. As soon as a child is able to sit at the dinner table, he or she is taught to listen to the prayers and to the reaching, to the preaching from the Bible. Often parents use a children's Bible written in language and concepts a child can relate to. And the parents ask simple questions from the child to make sure that he or she has been listening and that they understood the material. In this way, a child brought up in a Christian home is handed his faith through the mouth of the parents. And so when we are older and we are asked why we believe in God and the Bible, then we might answer that we were brought up to believe in God, that our faith has been passed down to us through our parents. And there is nothing to be ashamed of to admit that. Indeed, you can mention such a fact with thankfulness. For in this way, the Lord God works through the generations. Paul also mentioned that fact about his own upbringing. As a matter of fact, he says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. He acknowledged here the role of his parents and his forefathers in bringing him to faith. And he said the same thing about the mother of Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. Faith, beloved, is covenantal. It is passed down from generation to generation. Boys and girls, be glad that you are brought up in a Christian home. Be thankful that through your parents you have learned obedience to God. Are you thankful? Do you ever think about it, boys and girls? Why your parents speak to you about the Bible and why that is so important? Are you glad that they want to teach you about God? Are you glad that they bring you to church even already when you are young and that they want you to be taught in a Christian matter at home and in school? Do you think that's important? Well, it is important, boys and girls. Do you know how important it is? Well, it is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of eternal life. And that's why we're also together here today, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. For you see, our family is much wider than just our physical family. And our father and mother and our brothers and sisters. For who actually are our brothers and sisters and our father and mother, according to the Lord Jesus himself? Well, the Lord Jesus at one time says, 
my father and my brother and my sisters, they are those who believe. And here you are together with your fellow believers, the members of the church. And this especially in the church where faith is created and strengthened. You know what Paul did? Paul first went to the synagogues. He did not go into the individual homes. And later he established Christian communities, churches. And there in the midst of all the people, the gospel was proclaimed. And Peter and the apostles did the same in Jerusalem. They preached to very large crowds. And then later the people went to each other's homes to have God's word opened even further. And so let us never forget that the normal way that God creates faith in us is through the tool that he uses, the preaching of the word. And therefore you also have to go to the workshop of the Holy Spirit, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is especially in the church that God's children are born and nourished. And then you don't just go to any church, not that God does not gather his people elsewhere, because there's preaching elsewhere as well, and God gathers his people from all over. But you have to go there, especially where God's word is being taken seriously. You have to go there where the word is central. You have to go there where the covenant is taken seriously. And if you do that, then God will also bless you and your children and your grandchildren. He will bless you in the generations. Look at how God is blessing us here in this church. We don't have to boast of anything of ourselves because it's God's work. But look at how he's blessing us through the generations. I see here young children, older children. I see teenagers See young men and young women, middle-aged people and elderly. And together we make up God's church here in this place. And in the church service, the most important element, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is the preaching of the word. Even though there may be sometimes things that you don't understand, or maybe there are certain things that don't interest you all that much, It's still important. Learn to listen. Because it is through the preaching that God speaks to us. And that is why in this church also the pulpit is in the center. Did you notice that? Do you know why that is? The pulpit is not put on the side someplace to make room for an altar, as is the case in the Roman Catholic Church or in the Anglican Church. And it is not pushed aside either to make room for a band as is the case in many evangelical churches. The preaching here is not a sideshow. No, the preaching is the main event. That's what keeps me as your minister busy most during the week. For God wants to create your faith through the living preaching of the Word of God. Beloved, the Heidelberg Catechism is sometimes called a book of treasure. And that's certainly evident from this Lord's Day. For although it's only a little book, there are some really precious nuggets in it. 
For look at what it says about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts. Catechism doesn't say anything about our minds. Not that our minds are excluded, of course not. But it is first of all a matter of the heart. And when you speak about the heart, you speak about your feelings. You, feel, you speak about the center of your emotions. It's a matter of trust. And trusting is a matter of the heart. God's word reaches inside of us. And his word must set us on fire. It must, as we saw this morning, propel us into action. Through the preaching, the Holy Spirit must also burn away all the impurities that reside there. And there are lots of impurities in our hearts. And time and again, the devil wants to invade our hearts. And it is through the preaching that you may be cleansed. It says in John 15, the word has already cleansed you. For the preaching renews us, cleanses us, purifies us from the inside out. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, does your heart burn within you because of God's word that is preached to you? Do you not need that preaching every week, twice even? There are those who are in the habit of coming only once. They deny themselves the great treasures that come from this pulpit. For look at how busy Satan is, is with you during the week. He wants to create doubt in you. He wants to create bitterness in you. He wants to create resentment in you against others. He wants to draw you away from your Christian family, your parents, your siblings, your children, your friends. He wants you to look down on others. To make you think that you are better than others. Satan wants discord. His ultimate aim is to draw you away from God. And Satan has all kinds of ways of distracting you. There are so many secular entertainments that is available to you. And all those things he wants to use in order to draw you away from God. And that is why it is so important to come to church and to hear God's word. It's only two or three hours in a week. You need to hear God's voice so that Satan does not lure you away. You must be reminded time and again who God is and what he does for you. How almighty he is. You need to be reminded also of your sinful inclination and that you have to be on your guard all the time. You need to be reminded time and again from what you have been saved. And you need to hear how much he loves you and what he has in store for you. It's absolutely wonderful, brothers and sisters. It's all so great. To hear his voice, isn't it? It's wonderful to hear time and again that all is well between you and the Lord your God. Not because of anything you have done, but because of his great love. And for that reason, you may not stay away from attending the church. We all need the preaching so badly. 
We can't do without it. And so, brothers and sisters, open your ears, your eyes, and your hearts. Do not despise the preaching. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Oh, sure, the fact that it is done by sinful men does create somewhat of an obstacle. Creatures are far from perfect, and this minister has that gift, and that minister has that gift. And sometimes we look through the bulletin and see, well, I wonder who's preaching. And then we say, I hope it's not this one. I hope it isn't that one. Well, brothers and sisters, God's word is being preached. And that is wonderful. And ministers are but mouthpieces of the Lord, all with their different gifts. And it also happens that sometimes the minister does not always do complete justice to the text, or that it is not to the point enough, or that it isn't clear enough. And so there is lots of criticism about the preaching, and it's possible. But be careful when you criticize, for we are dealing with matters of life and death. A minister is on the pulpit as a mouthpiece of the Lord. And as minister of the Lord, I stand here as God's ambassador. And from this pulpit, you will hear about the forgiveness of your sins and the wonderful gift of eternal life through grace alone. You will hear also from this pulpit about your covenant responsibilities. You will hear exhortations. You will also hear about your sins, but always within the context of your salvation. And brothers and sisters, it's a wonderful message. It's an important message. It's a message of love. Don't spurn that message. Some people criticize a lot. They criticize the work of the minister, of the elders, and the deacons. They don't do this enough. They don't visit enough. They don't, not careful enough. They're not friendly enough, whatever it is. And so they berate them. And no doubt there are reasons for it. But remember, God holds you responsible. He holds you responsible for every word you utter, especially something as serious as the message of salvation that they bring. And you will suffer the consequences in one way or the other. For those homes where God's word from the pulpit is despised and ridiculed or minimized are actually spurning God's word. Those who easily stay away from church with flimsy excuses for so doing show a lax attitude towards the word. They are a poor example also to their loved ones, to their children, and to the rest of their family. And therefore, you don't really hurt the minister, the ambassador, but you hurt God. God's servant as such doesn't matter all that much. But what is important is your salvation. If you despise God's word, you despise God himself. And someone who despises God and his word will not inherit eternal life. Do you pray during the week about the work that the elders and the deacons are doing? About the minister preparing his message for Sunday? Is that something that lives within you? That's important, brothers and sisters. God's word functions not only to create faith in our hearts, but also to strengthen our faith. By hearing God's word, we are confirmed time and again of the truth of the gospel. 
but the Lord God also uses the sacraments. The sacraments, however, do not create faith. They only strengthen it. Nevertheless, they also play an important part in the life of the believer. And the Lord willing, that's what we will deal with the next time. First with the sacrament of baptism and then the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The Lord uses all kinds of means to help us in our faith. And do you know why he does that? Because he loves us. For it is only through faith that we can be saved. And that faith needs to be nourished and tended and cared for. Allow him to do that. Allow him to do that from this pulpit. Let his word make you into a new creature so that all the days of your life you may praise your God and Father, now and forever. Amen.